0: Good morning, Grace Midtown. Uh, my name is Brian Fisher. For those of you I have not met, I'm one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church, and I want to thank Sam for inviting me to be with you this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to begin this morning, Luke chapter 15. Uh, but before we get into the Word, I'm going to tell you a story. When our kids were uh, much younger, we decided it would be just a, a, an amazing once-in-a-lifetime experience for them to take them to Israel. So that they could see all of the the biblical sites and uh, learn in in the context of where Jesus uh, actually walked. And so we decided it would be a really good opportunity for them to also uh, record all of this for themselves. So we bought them each a little digital camera. And they could take all the pictures they wanted so they'd have all these memories when they got home. So uh, as the kids were taking pictures, one of the things that I noticed was uh, my daughter didn't take pictures of, of any of the historical or geographical sites. She took pictures of all of the cats. We have a photo here. So um, my daughter went around the nation of uh, Israel, and rather than taking pictures of Jerusalem or the Sea of Galilee or Capernaum or Bethlehem, she took pictures of cats. Everywhere we went, she took pictures of cats because she loves cats. Uh, I don't know why she did not inherit that from me because I don't love cats. And um, when she got home, she created a cat calendar. Uh, the cats of the nation of Israel, she put on a calendar. And every time I turned around, uh, she was petting a cat or picking up a cat. And she kept asking me, can we, can we take this cat home, daddy? And I said, why would we ever want to do that? These cats, they're, they're just, they're mangy and they're missing fur and they've got worms and they have fleas and they're diseased and they're horrible. But she loved them all. She loved all of them and she wanted to take all of them home with her because she loves these mangy cats of the world, and which I thought was a really, really strange thing, especially when we're in uh, one of the most important and historical places on the planet. Now, this thought has probably never crossed your mind, but I want you to think for just a second. What would it take to reform and transform the cat population of Israel? Right, you probably never th- had that thought before, have you? What would it take to, to transform and reform the cat population? Well, you'd, you'd need to give them medicine, To get rid of their worms and their ticks and their fleas, you'd need to give them food and they'd need to have shelter. They'd need to have unconditional love. They would need, of course, to have something that no cat has, which is a reason for living. And they would need to have purpose, right, and meaning for their lives. Uh, I've just tipped my hand how I I feel about cats. Now, um, I use that illustration, that metaphor, because sometimes churches are like gangs of feral cats. Not talking about our church, but um, they become diseased and sickly, and they bite scratch and claw at one another, and you wouldn't want to be a part of that, and you wouldn't want to invite people into that. We don't want to be that. So God's Word says we're to be the bride of Christ. We're to be an aroma of Jesus Christ. We are to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to talk about this morning is uh, how do we become or stay a church like that? A church that's beautiful, that looks more like the bride of Christ and less like a gang of feral cats, so to speak. And so what I want to do is I'm going to give you seven marks or seven qualities, seven characteristics of a thriving, flourishing, healthy church. And I want to begin in Luke chapter 15. So if you're not there, please turn to Luke chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. First mark of a a healthy, thriving church is that we seek the lost. This is a series, actually, of three parables. uh, The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. And Jesus tells these three parables to show to the self-righteous Pharisees that God loves the lost, and he cares about the lost, and he's seeking after the lost. And he's telling it to these people who are lost, who are broken, the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and the the, the lepers, saying, you are the people that God loves. And by extension, God wants his children to have that same love, to seek and to save that which is lost. When I was a little kid, my sister and I, we we would frequently lose things. And we would go to my mom and we'd say, mom, where are my shoes? Where are my socks? Where's my toys? Where's my lunchbox? And my mom would always say the same thing. She would say, have you prayed about it? Did you ask Jesus where your lost thing was and you'd be like, oh, whatever, Mom, right? She'd go, let's just stop and pray. We'd hold hands and we'd pray. And it was crazy because every time then she would walk out and she'd find it. It was like magic. She always knew. And she said, God knows where that lost thing is, and He can help us find it. And God knows where the lost are. And He cares about the lost, and He wants us to have the same heart that He has for those who are not here with us, who are not a part of the body of Christ. It was true for my mom uh, with physical items. It was also true uh, spiritually. When I was in about the first grade, first or second grade, we lived in Oregon, and uh, a new family moved in next to us. My mom went next door to them and, and greeted the, the, the wife as she opened the door. And the wife said, you know, I really I don't have the emotional energy bandwidth right now to get to know people that were really struggling with something with our family. And my mom said, oh, I'm really sorry. Can do you mind? You want to tell me, share what you're struggling with. And, and said, my husband was just diagnosed with a brain tumor and no one can know what this is like, what we're going through. Well, my dad had a brain tumor. About the time that my mom got pregnant with me, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And mom said, I know exactly what you're going through. And my mom told her story and they shared their story. And my mom uh, began to serve them and cook meals for them. And then she shared the gospel with the the wife. She trusted Christ and shared shared the gospel with the kids and they trusted Christ. shared the gospel with the husband who was dying of uh, a brain tumor and he trusted Christ. And my mom would tell you, I'm not an evangelist. But she just had a broken place in her heart for those who were lost what I want to do this morning is I want to walk you through these seven marks of a healthy, flourishing church, but then I want to issue you challenges. I want to issue us challenges as a church. And the first is this. Ask God this semester to just break your heart for the lost. Because sometimes the lost are inconvenient, and and that's how we see them, rather than seeing them as as those for whom Christ died. That, That God loved them so much that he was willing to sacrifice what was most valuable to him to give his only begotten son so that they could be a part of the family. And what we want to be as a church is a church who, that cares more about the people who aren't with us here this morning than we even care about ourselves. And so ask God this semester that he would just begin to stir up your heart, break your heart, begin to see people in their spiritual state and long for them to be in God's family. That's the first mark of a healthy, thriving church. We seek the lost. Second, we proclaim the gospel. Uh, when the lost need to be found, what do they need to hear first? They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to these words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. What I find very interesting about these verses is Paul knew a lot of theology, and he said, here's what's really most important. Let's not get buried in things that are secondary or tertiary. And he knew all of those secondary and tertiary doctrines. He's the greatest theologian the church has ever had. But he said, I deliver to you as of first importance the gospel. I deliver to you as of first importance the gospel. Nothing is more important than the gospel. We say it at Grace Bible Church like this. We help people find and follow Jesus. We just keep it really simple. We help people find and follow Jesus. And what do they need first and foremost? They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need to hear it clearly. It can't be cluttered by other things so that they can respond to the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I I read a survey recently that 95% of all church ministries are for members only. Churches spend 95% of their budget and they program 95% of their members for members only. Churches die when they become inwardly focused. Churches thrive when they begin to look outward. And they look outward, and they seek and save that which is lost, and when they find the lost, they give them the gospel, the pure and simple gospel. There's a really interesting uh, comparison if you, you look at Philippians 1 as compared to Galatians chapter 1. In Philippians 1, there are people who are preaching the gospel, Paul says, from envy and strife, right? Their motives are terrible, but they're preaching the gospel. And Paul says, you know what? Whatever. What then? Only that in every way Christ is proclaimed. I'm not going to worry about that. Even though they're jealous of me and my ministry, but they're getting the gospel clear. That's wonderful. Galatians chapter one, people are polluting the gospel. They're adding good works to the gospel. Rather than helping people understand that the gospel is actually just a free gift. And Paul says, let them be accursed. Those who have bad motives, he goes, whatever. Only that in every way Christ is proclaimed. In Galatians 1, he says, let them be accursed. Because the gospel has to be clear and simple and pure. One of uh, the pillars of this church is grace. That's why we call it Grace Bible Church. And what grace means is this. God loves you unconditionally. God loves you exactly as you are right now. God doesn't love you more if you have a good day today and less if you have a bad day. God doesn't love you more when you're obedient and less when you're disobedient. He loves you unconditionally in Jesus Christ. That's God's grace. And he offers you forgiveness of sins and eternal life freely just as a gift. That is grace. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I've had the privilege of of being in these moments where people understand God's grace for the very first time. They've been laboring to earn God's love or laboring to earn God's approval for their entire lives. And finally, God's grace clicks for them. I remember I had a student when I was doing college ministry and he was sitting on the front row and he was from this, this really difficult, harsh family and spiritual background and was talking about the grace of God. And there was just a moment where the spirit broke through and he sat on the front room and he just began to weep because the burden was lifted and he understood God loves him just as he is. So church, my next challenge to you is, have you actually received God's grace freely in Jesus Christ, or are you still trying to earn his favor? Have you had that moment where you just said, yes, thank you? Becoming a Christian isn't about doing more for God. It's about receiving what Christ has done for you. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you, if you've never simply received the free gift of eternal life in Jesus, that today would be that moment. Third challenge I wanna issue to you is if you have received it, do you know how to share it? Do you know how to share it? Do you know how to get to the gospel? Do you know how to get to the point of the gospel without cluttering it with a lot of other things like going to church and church attendance and being a good person and serving and caring for the poor? But can you just get to the gospel, which is, it's a free gift. I wanna challenge you, if you don't know how to do that, uh, talk with one of our staff, talk with elders or deacons and, and say, hey, would you help me learn how to share the gospel? And then start working on your story of moving out of darkness into light, moving away from Jesus into a relationship with Jesus, and and get your testimony ready because you're going to have moments at work or at a restaurant or uh, when you're traveling on an airplane where you get get to the gospel and you need to be ready in that moment to share the gospel without any confusion, just clarity. Because it's transforming the second characteristic or third second characteristic is that we uh, get to the gospel we share the gospel third we multiply disciples third we multiply disciples Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 is known as the great commission it reads like this and Jesus came up and he spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we say it like this. We help people find and follow Jesus. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then we want people to learn how to follow Jesus, that is a disciple, a learner of Jesus, so that they can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is the essence of the vision of Grace Bible Church is spiritual multiplication. Well, what happens to churches that die They forget about the next generation. They're not thinking about the next generation. They're content with who is here, and they're content with where they are in their maturity, and they're not thinking about multiplying into the next generation. One of my life verses comes from Psalm chapter 71. It says, and even when I'm old and gray, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. Let me read that to you again. And even when I'm old and gray, which is the direction I'm moving right now, right? Even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. I want to always be thinking about the next generation. A study after study after study has has, has demonstrated the, the same fact, and that is this. Most people trust in Jesus Christ when they're young. One of the more recent uh, studies that I read said that of people who become Christians in the United States of America, 83% trust Christ before the age 18. 95% of people trust Christ before the age 30. So unashamedly, if you're a part of Grace Bible Church, we we are bending toward the next generation. We want to think about the next generation. A few years ago, um, I'm 58 now, when I was 53, I bought a Jeep. I always wanted a Jeep. Bought the Jeep for myself. Uh, I told my kids, this is how I'm expressing my midlife crisis. I'm going to get a Jeep. And my son looked at me and super directly, he said, Dad, uh, you're 53. I said, I know I'm 53. He said, you're 53. That means uh, you're past midlife, Dad. <laughs> you're 106. I don't, you, you need to, you know, okay, okay. So I'm, this is where I am. I'm on the, I'm on the downward slide. I get that, and I'm okay with that. But that compels me even more, knowing the time is short. I won't be occupying a seat at Grace Bible Church forever and ever. I want the generation behind me to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, at Grace Bible Church, we are bending toward the next generation. We we make sacrifice. Those of us who've walked with the Lord a little bit longer want to make sacrifices to make the next generation comfortable here and enjoy being here. There's no question we unashamedly go after the next generation. Now, at the same time, the next great disciple maker might be your neighbor who's 75 years old, who hears the gospel for the first time, has been laboring to prove his worth to God. Now he receives the free gift of eternal life, and he's so Uh, grateful and excited that he wants to share it with everybody, and now he's the spiritual multiplier because the essence of our vision here is spiritual multiplication. We want every member to be a spiritual multiplier. So my challenge to you now is this. this is number four. Are you a disciple maker? Are you investing your life in someone else so that they learn how to feed themselves and they get the vision and skills to feed others and challenge them with the vision and skills to also be a spiritual multiplier. That's the normal Christian life, to be a spiritual multiplier. Maybe you're sitting there and you say to yourself, and I just don't know enough. I, don't, I just don't know enough to share and to invest my life in somebody else to be a disciple maker. Do you know the gospel? Then you can share the gospel. Do you own a Bible? You can take your Bible. You can sit down with somebody else and say, would you read the Bible with me? and see how it applies to our lives. Could we start doing that on a weekly basis? Let's go to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee, and read the Word, and think about how the Word has implications for marriage, parenting, school, roommates, job, and begin to filter all of their life through the Word of God. I want to challenge you, every single one of us, are you a spiritual multiplier? That's the normal Christian life. Now, I want to issue you another challenge. Can we go back to uh, Matthew 28? I want you to remember the scope of the Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The scope of the Great Commission is all nations. All nations. So at Grace Bible Church, um, if you know a little bit of our history, our, our church Actually started right across the street. The first Grace Bible Church building was directly across the street. And at that location there, when the church was very young, uh, they had a missions conference. The pastor was Joe Wall at the time, and Joe was not even receiving a full salary every week. But he felt like a really healthy, thriving church is thinking about those who've never heard the gospel before. So we're gonna have a missions conference and we're gonna support missionaries, even though He he was married with young children. He wasn't getting paid every week. He said, but God will bless us if we obey. And so they had a missions conference, and they had four missionaries, and they started supporting those four missionaries, $10 a month, $40 a month. And God has provided for Grace Bible Church ever since. Right now, 20% of our HR budget goes to missionary salaries. This is a time where churches are retracting, and they are uh, abolishing their, their missions programs. They're not giving money to take the gospel where it has, has never been heard before. But what happens is those churches shrivel and die because healthy churches are outwardly focused and we're thinking about the nations. So I wanna challenge you. Maybe God is calling you to go. I can't even imagine that. Well, maybe God is calling you to go. Uh, John and Heather Lewis worship here. John and Heather are a couple of my heroes of the faith. Uh, John and Heather had... Uh, thriving careers here in Bryan College Station, and they felt like God was calling them to take the gospel to people who'd never heard the gospel. So they sold their house. They moved into a little apartment because they knew they were going to live in an apartment where they were going, and they want their, their, their small family, three boys, to experience apartment living. And they began to live differently, and they lived among international students that were living there on Northgate. And then they sold everything else, and they left their jobs, and they, and they went. And maybe that's a concept that's never crossed your mind, but maybe God is calling you to go. I want you just to think about it and let God's Spirit speak to you. Maybe He maybe He'll call you to leave everything behind. Maybe He won't. Um, My wife and I have tried to leave. We've been almost at that stage of, of buying the tickets, and God has pulled us back. But I feel like one of the reasons He's pulled us back is to challenge the church to go. And if you don't go, are you praying for those who are taking the gospel where you can't go? Are you giving sacrificially, financially to those who are taking the gospel? you can't go. One of the other pillars of Grace Bible Church is the nations. We think about the nations. You're going to hear this spring about some trips that are coming up from Midtown to go on. I want to challenge you. to Think about going. Yourself personally, take your kids, take your teenagers, take your young kids, get them exposed to uh, other languages and cultures and people who've never heard the gospel before. That's a healthy church. That's a healthy church. Now, I also have a corporate challenge for us. There are two great, uh, uh, really significant Great Commission strategies. One is personal discipleship. That is, every single one of us becoming a disciple maker, sharing the gospel, building up others in their faith so they can feed themselves, so that they can feed others, and so on, right? So personal discipleship is the first strategy. Second strategy is church planting. Church planting is an effective Great Commission strategy to take the gospel to the nations. Here in the United States of America, There are about 4,000 church closings every year and 1,000 new churches being planted, 50% of which will fail. See, that's not working too well. Now, with current population growth trends, just to keep up with population growth, we would need to plant 2,000 churches a year in the United States of America. Instead, we've got 4,000 closings, 1,000 new churches... 50% 50% of which will fail, but we need to be planting 2,000, right? So the church needs to multiply corporately. We need to multiply as a church. Now, A few years ago, we really we, we felt God's burden on our heart to do that. We had never planted at Grace Bible Church another church. Our missionaries had planted churches, but, but as a church, Grace, we had never intentionally planted a church. And so we felt like God was calling us into that space. And, and as we began to pray and our, our elders really leaned into this, the opportunity to purchase the Midtown I mean, the, the uh, Southwood campus opened up in front of us, and so we said yes, and we made a commitment, and then the recession hit of 2008. Uh, 2008 and it was really scary. We're like, okay, we're d- the, the nation's diving into recession, and we just made this huge financial and strategic commitment, and you know what? God honored our obedience. Okay? We, our budget, all, we always met budget. We never went into the red. We always stayed into the black, in the black. God provided for us to buy that facility to remodel it, to hire staff, and to plant. And in two, three, four years, they're running two services and they're multiplying disciples from another place. That's a great commission strategy. That was 16 years ago. About nine or 10 years ago, felt like God was calling us to do that again. And we planned the Creekside campus. We felt like we needed to go to the south end of town because there weren't new churches being planted out there. A lot of population growing out there. And God bless that. We're about halfway through the third year of Midtown, felt like God was calling us to multiply again. And again, it's just just a beautiful, uh, miraculous story. One of our elders sent me an email about this facility being for sale. And he said, well, it's probably not good timing. I'm like, this is perfect timing because this is a perfect opportunity. I'm not a super mystic. My wife is the mystic of the family, but how can you not think that there's something really special when it's directly across the street from the original Grace Bible Church? That's amazing. And so we said yes. We said yes for, for, for uh, some really specific and different reasons, because what we wanted to do here at Midtown is we wanted to plant a bilingual, multicultural church. Now, uh, my first degree is in economics, so forgive me for giving you more statistics, but I like statistics as illustrations. Um, anybody know, in the United States of America, what is, what's the percentage of Hispanics in the U.S.? Anybody know? This, this campus should know this statistic. Anybody? U.S. is 20%. State of Texas, what's the percentage of Hispanics? 40%. Okay, 40% in the state of Texas, 40% uh, in the city of Bryan, roughly 40% in this neighborhood. uh, Hispanics are the majority minority in the state of Texas now. That means in this neighborhood, in this city, in this state, in this nation, Hispanics are leading and will lead the cultural trends that are all around us. That's the future. That's the future. Just down the road here, I don't know, a mile and a half, are 16,000 Hispanic students at Texas A&M University. They will be the future leaders in business, in government, in education, in finance, in research, and science. They're going to they're lead in every possible way. Now, imagine the opportunity... To plant a church that's multicultural, bilingual, that creates a model that we can multiply in Hispanic communities throughout the state of Texas and the United States of America, with a particular focus on college students. That's why we're here, people. That's an incredibly strategic opportunity. And this, but this isn't just a Hispanic church. Like, I mean, look around. What we want to do here is it's multicultural, it's bilingual, it's multilingual. Why? Because that's a picture of God's intention for the body of Christ, for his people, his children. Uh, Revelation chapter 7. Can I get that? A couple more of my life verses. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. Behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And they sing that over and over and over forever and ever and ever. This is where history is moving. Why would we not want to be a part of that? Because this is God's intention for humanity, to create one family for himself of men and women from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So what do we want to be? We want to be a great commission, personally multiplying, spiritually making disciples. Corporately multiplying, planting churches, that's who we want to be as Grace Bible Church. That's the third mark of a flourishing church. Fourth mark of a flourishing church is that we love God's word. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts 2.42 reads like this. They were continually devoting devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Why were they devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, because the word of God is transformative. In Hebrews, it says it's living and active. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrows. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I remember when I first actually Begin to learn how to study God's Word for myself and learn from God's Word and then interpret it and apply it for myself. And it, it, was, just, it was just mind-blowing and transformative for my character. The word of God is, is powerful, right? It's like a hammer, the prophet said. It just breaks up the those hard rocks. It churns up the fallow ground. It's it's transformative. So we are Grace Bible Church. You're gonna hear the Word of God here every single week. And I want to challenge you to do this this semester devote yourself in a fresh way to knowing God's word, not just casually, right? When somebody else teaches the word and you go, yeah, that sounds right to me, but that you would go in and get firsthand information, right? Not a meal that someone else just prepared for you, but a meal that you've gone to God's word and through his spirit, he's spoken to you. I love this description of Ezra. Ezra chapter seven, verse 10, it says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel, right? I love, it's the entire cycle. It says he he set his heart to study it, but then he also wanted to live it. And then he wanted to multiply it, and he wanted to teach others. And I want to challenge us to become devoted students again of the word of God. That's the fourth mark. Fifth mark is that we depend upon the Holy Spirit. Turn back to chapter one and verse four of the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verse 4. Gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So why did he tell them to wait? Because what he was calling them to do was so far beyond their abilities. In verse 8, he's going to say, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And you can't do that. Why? Because... Just a couple days ago, you were afraid to even be identified with me. When Jesus was captured in the garden, they all ran away. Peter said, I'll never deny you. Three times he denied Jesus. They were cowering in a fearful, and now he's saying, I'm calling you to take this gospel, not only in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but you've never traveled past Galilee, and I want you to take it to the ends of the earth. They would need the Spirit's power to transform them. Turn to chapter 4, verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. This is Peter and John begin to uh, courageously proclaim the gospel, and they get arrested and they end up getting beaten. And it's just a really, really challenging experience, but they're super articulate and they're like, wait, they never went to our schools, right? They didn't get a degree from our place. What is it that sets them apart? Well, they were with Jesus and they're filled with the spirit and they have courage and they have boldness and they have clarity in proclaiming the gospel, of Jesus Christ. We want to be people who are marked by the spirit. People look at our lives and they say, you know, that, that, that person couldn't have done that alone. I mean, I know Jim Herman, and he's a pretty good guy, but gosh, clearly the Spirit is evident in his life. I know Carmen. Clearly the Spirit is evident in her life. There's something different about her. She's marked by the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Church, life is hard. We live in a, in a broken and fallen world. We have, we have challenges physically with our bodies and relationally within our family and financially. Life is hard. It's, it's, a, it's a fallen world we live in. And we are not promised that we will escape from those trials. We are promised the presence of the Spirit taking us through those trials. And when he does so, and we respond with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness rather than bitterness and anger, we look so very different from the world. We're marked By the Spirit. That's who we want to be as a church. But they see the way that we live our lives, and they say, that's not natural. That's super natural. Sixth characteristic is we love one another. First fruit or manifestation of the Spirit is love, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. That is, we become people who care more about one another than we care about ourselves. John chapter thirteen, verse thirty four. Jesus says, "I new commandment that is a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples." If you have seminary degrees, no, that's not what he says. Actually, he says, "This is how people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another," because the world is filled with feral cats. And they bite, and they claw, and they scratch, and they're diseased, and their hair's coming out, and they're just, you know, ah, they're, they're in it for themselves. And how appealing it is it to be drawn into a community of people who care more for one another than we care for ourselves? The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, I want you to consider Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. He existed in the form of God, but he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, and said he emptied himself, right, Follow that example, care more about one another, consider one another more highly than you consider yourself. Now, remember the setting of this, Jesus' last supper with his disciples. At the end of that supper, he gets down and washes all their feet. And he creates this super awkward social moment for all of them because the master is removing their sandals And scrubbing between their toes and removing the dust from their feet. It's it's incredibly uncomfortable, but it's a really poignant moment. And when he finishes, he gets up and he says, what I've done for you, I want you to do for one another. I want you to care more for one another than you care for yourself. I want you to sacrifice for each other. I want you to serve one another. Why? Because that's how the world knows that you're my followers. Because you become like me. You become like me when you seek and save that which is lost. You become like me when you clarify grace for people. You become like me when you let the word transform you. You become like me when you display the spirit. You become like me when you love one another. It's sacrifice for one another. Now, seventh characteristic qualities, we begin and end in worship. Now, um, when I was in college, I went to a Campus Crusade for Christ conference and Bill Bright spoke. He's the founder of, of Campus Crusade. And he gave a talk. He had 17 points. And I don't remember a single point. I just remember that he had 17 points. So I want you to consider yourselves lucky. I only have seven for you this morning. Just seven points, okay? Seven point is this. We begin and end in worship. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36. Matthew 22, verse 36. Jesus was asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, what I I don't want you walking out of here feeling this morning is, gosh, I just need to do more things for God. What I would love for you to walk out saying is, there are a few things in life that really matter, and the first is that I would fall more deeply in love with Jesus, that I'd give him more of my heart. What's the first and foremost commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he changes you. So then as you begin to serve him, it's not out of duty or obligation or guilt or a sense of needing to earn his love. Instead, it's just a, it's an expression of gratitude because you've been changed what you love, right? You become like what you love. And when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you become like God. And then you love your neighbor as yourself because you want to love your neighbor as yourself because God loves your neighbor like he loves you. So that's why we begin and we end in worship because there are a few things that are really important in life. There are a lot of things that are uh, just really clamoring for our attention constantly, but only a few things matter, right? Remember the story of Mary and Martha. Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. She's just loving, being with Jesus. That's first. Did a meal need to be prepared? Yes, but that's second, and it's later. First things first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So as we close, we're going to close in worship, but I want to leave you, uh, before we close, with an image. This is uh, an image from the 2016 Olympic Games. The uh, the guy on uh, the top there that's Chad LaClose. He's from, uh, he was from South Africa. Guy on the bottom, you might recognize, you can see his, uh, on his head there, it says Phelps. That's Michael Phelps. So this is 2016 Olympics. It's a butterfly, 200-meter butterfly race. And LaClose had been kind of trash-talking Michael Phelps all week long and um, really wanted to beat Michael Phelps. His goal was to beat Michael Phelps. So at the very end of the race, uh, where is LaClose looking? He's, he's looking at Phelps. And, and, you know, what happened was he came in fourth because the goal wasn't, really should not have been to beat Phelps. The goal was to win the race. But he took his eye off the prize. He got distracted by something secondary, and he lost the race. The goal is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I want to challenge you this week to ask God, is there anything right now that I'm holding back? Is there any corner of my heart that needs confession or that I need to relinquish so that I can love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you love us unconditionally. I thank you that your, your grace is transformative. It's powerful. I pray, Father, that we would experience the freedom of knowing that we are being loved and then we would respond in, in light. Measure and we would love you as well. I pray, Father, that as we grow more deeply in our love for you, we would see you changing our heart to value the things that really matter. And Lord, I pray that that would be true of us, not just individually, but corporately here at Midtown Campus. I pray that people would see the way that we love one another and serve one another and sacrifice for one another, and they would say, I want to be a part of that community. I want to be a part of that family. Lord, I pray that you would prosper work here. I pray that you would add to our number people who have never heard the gospel, or who are far from Jesus, or who've wandered away. Father, I pray that you bring those people, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and I pray that you make us people who are have hearts that are broken, or it's lost, that we would be like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.